Good evening. We've been studying through the prophets together on Sunday evenings, and I've been really enjoying looking at these books that seem like we seldom touch them, but they're very valuable to our faith. They teach us a great deal about the God we serve. In Hosea's case, God used his life, and he used his marriage as a real-life illustration for his relationship to his people. The people, like Hosea's wife, were unfaithful. They were continually going away to serve idols and other kings rather than God. And when they needed help, they refused to turn to Him, and instead they turned to every other solution they might find to solve their problems. As you look through about Hosea chapters 8 through 11, you start to see some terminology and some illustrations that are linked Uh, There's some farming imagery that God uses, using some thoughts about sowing and reaping. And in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 7, we read that verse that says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. That's the way God designed the world, by the way. Everything that's sown, you'll reap in a like kind. It's the way He created plants. It's the way He created humans. It's also the way He's created cause and effect with our actions and our deeds. And so we've got this idea in Galatians 6-7, but it's not new. When Paul wrote it, it wasn't some grand revelation about God that this is the way that He works. It was a restatement concerning the way things have always been with God. The way He has always behaved and the way God has set us up. In Hosea chapter 8 and verse 7, there's a statement that's made. and I don't know if you've heard it before. It seems like it's memorable enough that you probably have. The statement is, Hosea chapter 8 and verse 7, For they sow the wind, and they reap the whirlwind. God speaking of His people and their activities against Him. He's calling it sowing the wind. Literally, they were being doing things that were as meaningless as taking a bucket of wind and trying to throw it into the earth and plant it. But even as meaningless and as useless as those things were, the, you always reap what you sow. And many times, much more than you sowed. And that's the case with them. They sowed wind, but they're going to reap the whirlwind. You imagine a tornado coming through. And what follows in chapter 8 is a listing of things that would happen to their crops. Their crops would be gone. There's going to be a famine. There's going to be some bad things happening to the land. And that's that whirlwind thought. But sowing the wind is imagery, like I said, for useless things that they had done. In verse 9 of chapter 8, they appealed to other nations for salvation. In verse 10, they even hired allies. In verse 11, they worshiped the idols. And in verse 12, let's read that. Hosea chapter 8, verse 12. God says, though I wrote for him 10,000 precepts of my law, they are regarded as a strange thing. And he continues on to talk about their sacrifices that they made without sincerity. But I want you to focus on that verse 12 because there's something there that's very similar to us. 
And not just us, but to everybody who lives after the time of Christ. Everyone who lives in the age that He brought in is the same in this way. Here God deals with His people and He says, I wrote for Him 10,000 precepts of my law. He gave Him so much so that He wouldn't be ignorant. But instead, He says, they regarded it as a strange thing now. I looked up the word strange. That's an interesting word. It doesn't just have to do with something that you're not really familiar with. It was used for things that were non-Israelite. Things that were not in their people at all and were not to be in their people. Those were the strange things. The things of the nations around them. All those things that were out there that God didn't give them. Those were strange things and strange peoples. And he says, they've, even though I've given them 10,000 precepts of my law, they've regarded them as a strange thing. As something that doesn't even belong with them. It's important to recognize God is dealing with His people. Those who had been given His law, He's speaking about. He doesn't say this about the Gentile nations because He didn't give them the same law that He gave to the Israelites. The Israelites had a great deal of information that everybody else was lacking in. And so over, look over at Acts chapter 17 and verse 30. And you'll see how we're very much the same. Acts 17 and verse 30. As Paul talks to the men who are, are in the Areopagus. He, he says, therefore having overlooked the times of ignorance. That is the times when some information was given to some people but not to others. The time when God didn't show himself just to every person who was alive. He overlooked those times when people didn't understand or didn't know and they were just sort of trying to do their best, those Gentile nations. But notice, He's overlooked the times of ignorance, but God is now declaring to men that all people everywhere should repent. And He's fixed a day in which He will judge the world in righteousness. And so, today, Every person living on the earth and every person who has ever lived after the time of Christ shares something in common with the people of Israel in Hosea chapter 8. And that is that they've been given God's law. God has shown Himself not just to a select few people. We're not the only ones who know about God. In fact, I'd be surprised if anyone was surprised to hear about God in general. The thought of Him. The idea of the Bible. Because it's been so sent out among the world. And because of that fact, because God has sent His information out so thoroughly into the world, we have a danger that's the same as their danger. 
and we share something in common with Hosea chapter 8, verse 12. And that is that because God has given His law and His, His New Testament to everyone living, we have the danger of ignoring it. And ignoring it to the point that it's regarded as strange. As something that doesn't belong. Something that's out of place. When God's will is given, when His teachings are read and taught, and you look at that and you say, oh, that's, that's harsh. That's terrible. That doesn't belong. That's, you can call it whatever you want. You can call it racist. You can call it sexist. You can call it any number of different things, right? But we're in danger of taking all the precepts of God that He's given to us and ignoring them to the point that they become strange and foreign to us altogether. That's why it's important that we take opportunities like this together to study, to look, and to think together. God commanded them in Hosea chapter 10. Hosea 10 and verse 12, He commanded them to sow with a view to righteousness and to reap in accordance to kindness. But instead they'd sown wickedness and reaped injustice and they'd eaten the fruit of their lies. And God examines their actions in Hosea 11 and He determines and declares that they will receive the fruits of them. And there's a logic and a reason to that that we recognize and we respect in God. That there's a logic and respect to, or a logic and reason to his actions. Looking at Hosea 11, verse 1, let's read starting there. He says, When Israel was a youth, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. And the more they called them, the more they went from them. They kept sacrificing to the Baals and burning incense to idols. Yet it is I who taught Ephraim to walk. I took them in my arms, but they did not know that I healed them. I led them with cords of a man, with bonds of love, and I became to them as one who lifts the yoke from their jaws, and I bent down and fed them. They will not return to the land of Egypt, but Assyria. He will be their king, because they refuse to return to me. The sword will whirl against their cities and will demolish their gate bars and consume them because of their counsels. So my people are bent on turning from me. Though they call them to the one on high, none at all exalts him. And that's become a sort of theme, hasn't it? That no matter what's done, God's people are refusing to call on him to be saved. And so we appreciate the reasonable nature with which God's approaching his people. They're doing something evil and they need to reap the punishment of that thing to learn. We understand that and we appreciate it. But there's something else that God does. Yes, He's reasonable. Yes, He's logical. And if you took just that side of Hosea, many would call Him a cold and calculating and an unfeeling God who just doles out punishment without, uh, without a tear. But in the very next set of verses in Hosea chapter 11, we see something from God that reminds us 
of other parts of his character that are very important. In Hosea chapter 11, beginning in verse 8, God pours out his heart. And he lets us see the sort of pain and grief he feels when his people turn against him. And he's faced with the decision to discipline them so that they will learn to serve him. Starting reading in verse 8 of Hosea 11. How can I give you up, O Ephraim? How can I surrender you, O Israel? How can I make you like Adma? How can I treat you like Zeboim? My heart is turned over within me. All my compassions are kindled. I will not execute my fierce anger. I will not destroy Ephraim again, for I am God and not man, the Holy One in your midst, and I will not come in wrath. They will walk after the Lord. He will roar like a lion. Indeed, he will roar and his sons will come trembling from the west. They will come trembling like birds from Egypt and like doves from the land of Assyria. And I will settle them in their houses, declares the Lord. Do you hear the heartbreak that's expressed by the words of God? He's faced with an evil people, a people who are choosing to do things and to run from Him rather than run to Him for their salvation. And so He's looking at them and He knows what they deserve, but He says, how can I give you up? How can I treat you like these evil cities? God's heartbroken like a a husband whose wife refuses to honor the covenant that they've made. In verse 8 he says his heart is turned over within him. His wife hates him. He is the object of her ridicule as she runs into the arms of every other. But instead of sending hatred and complete judgment and revenge to her, he says, all my compassions are kindled. Who can do that? Who can respond to such flagrant abuse with such concern and love? Who receives that sort of treatment and responds, I'm not going to execute my fierce anger. I'm not going to destroy. The answer is only God. Only God. And that statement that he makes holds great meaning, which we, it seems, could only begin to grasp when he says, For I am God. And not man, the Holy One in your midst, and I will not come in wrath. The first part of that phrase, for I am God and not man, is something that we're completely or or continually reminded of in the Scriptures. In Numbers 23 verse 19, we're told that God is not a man that He should lie. In Isaiah 55 verse 9, we're told that God's thoughts are not our thoughts. And His ways are not our ways. And instead, His ways are higher. And His thoughts are higher than our ways. So much higher we can't fathom them. 
And in Job chapter 40, verse 6, I'll read here in Job 40, verse 6, he answers Job the second time from the whirlwind. And he says in verse 7, Now gird up your loins like a man. I will ask you and you instruct me. Will you really annul my judgment? Will you condemn me that you may be justified? Or do you have an arm like God? And can you thunder with a voice like His? Adorn yourself with eminence and dignity and clothe yourself with honor and majesty. Pour out the overflowings of your anger and look on everyone who's proud and make him low. Look on everyone who's proud and humble him and tread down the wicked where they stand. Hide them in the dust together. Bind them in the hidden place. And then I will also confess to you that your own right hand can save you. Who has an arm like God? Who has a voice that thunders like His? Who is able to clothe themselves with dignity and honor and majesty the way the Lord can? Who is able to humble everyone who's proud? No one can do those things except God. If we could do those things, then He says we could indeed save ourselves, but we can't because we're human. We're human and God is not man. And we need to remember that truth because in that rests our salvation. God's statement begins, I am God and not a man. But then He continues, the Holy One in your midst. Remember what God's saying. His people have run away from Him into every evil thing, into the arms of every nation and king that they can find. And they've denied Him the relationship with them that He deserves. And yet He's saying, I'm going to show you an amount of mercy. And then He describes Himself as holy. Why is He not going to do the utmost destruction that He can do on them? Because He's God and because He's the Holy One. And now read 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 14 through 16. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance, but like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior, because it's written, You shall be holy, for I am holy. How's your understanding of holy? Does it include mercy to those who deserve death? Do you include compassion on the ones who deserve obliteration? When God's wife hated him and abused his blessings, he refused to treat her without compassion, but instead said, all my compassions are kindled. He refused to treat them as Adma and Zeboim. And if you look those up, those are cities that were destroyed with Sodom and Gomorrah. He refused to make them piles of salt. He refused to completely wipe them from the face of the earth. But instead, He showed mercy to Israel by allowing that small remnant to continue on. Even though they deserved to be wiped out entirely. And God finishes His statement, I will not come in wrath. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, 
we read, the Lord is not slow about His promise. As some count slowness, but is patient toward you. Not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. That tells me that God hasn't returned yet for the same reason that He didn't completely obliterate Israel from existence. That's because He's God. He's the Holy One. His compassion is greater than ours. And so He waits. Because He's God and not a man, He waits for the one who will obey Him and be saved. He waits so that the opportunity might be given to a lost soul to return. Because all His compassions are kindled toward that one. He is the Holy One and we should desire to be like Him in all our ways. You think about God's compassion. It's seen here in Hosea very clearly and plainly. He loved and welcomed back His adulterous people when they recommitted themselves to Him. But He also sacrificed His Son to save the life of complete strangers. He sacrificed His Son to save those who are far beneath Him in every way. He judges every person. He does so righteously, mercifully. How would you like to have the job of judging every person righteously and justly, yet offering just the right amount of mercy and deciding where that line is, deciding about the intention of the heart and where it went too far. Not only does He judge us all, but He judges us with the same standard. And in that very standard, He has made a way for all of us, no matter who you are or how terrible a life you've lived to this point, He's made a way for you to be counted in the group of the righteous. That sounds to me like all my compassions are kindled and my heart is turned over inside me. That sounds like He's doing everything He possibly can to make a way for us to come back and be right with Him. And a way for every person on this earth to do the same thing. After everything that I've done to Him personally, after everything I've done to Jesus, after all the pain I've caused Him through what I've done and what I've failed to do, through all of that, He gives up vengeance and He forgives instead because He's God and not a man. And we need to be like Him. We need to be like Him. God has shown His character through the history of our world. Through the history He's recorded for us in His Scriptures. He shows us every side of Himself and every side is good. And He shows us the way to be with Him. He shows us His compassion, 
His mercy, also His judgment, but also His sacrifice. And we see very clearly that He is God and not a man. And so we keep trying. We keep trying like a child wearing their father's shoes to be like him. And tonight, uh, just don't quit. Sometimes walking with God is a very difficult thing to do. And it's challenging. And it's heartbreaking. Don't quit. Never turn away from Him. Never turn away from Him. Because to turn away from God is the greatest cruelty that we can commit to Him. You think about the heartbreak that's expressed in the book of Hosea. About the illustration, you know, if, if God's spiritual heartbreak is too far beyond you to comprehend, He's given you the physical, real-life illustration of Hosea and Gomer. Feel the heartbreak that Hosea felt. Feel the heartbreak that God expresses in Hosea 11, verses 8 and 9. And let that motivate you to stay with Him. Because to turn away from Him, to go into the arms of another, is the greatest cruelty you could commit against Him. You break His heart. And we must not do that. Not to a God who's been so compassionate toward us. Not to a God who's been so sacrificial toward us. We must not turn away. We must not break His heart. Tonight, if you're one of God's people, but you've turned away from Him, stop hurting Him. It's time to come back. And what's more, He'll have you back. He wants you back. He wants you to walk with Him again. If you renew your covenant with Him, He will forgive you because... He's God and not a man. And if you've not yet obeyed the gospel, please recognize that God's waiting. He's waiting to return so that you can be saved. He loves you that much. He's that compassionate toward you that whatever's in your past, whatever thing that you may think is unforgivable and completely beyond God's power to remove, He's willing to forgive. He's willing to forgive. Don't waste His holiness. Don't waste His patience. Instead, obey Him today. Repent of your sins and be baptized in Jesus' name for your forgiveness. And His mercy will be given to you. All His compassion will be kindled. And so if you have a need tonight... We ask that you please come forward as we stand and sing.